Amen. Beautiful to be able to see what God is doing around our city. By the way, that video, there will be a monthly video that showed across all 27 New Life locations. So we're watching it in the Midway area, but it's being shown in Montgomery, in Elgin, in Little Village, in Lakeview, in Lincoln Park, in Hobart, in Hammond, and blah, 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 blah. It's being shown all over the Chicagoland area. Amen. God is doing a lot of good in this season, and I'm glad to be a part of a church that's on mission and on move for the Lord. Hey, uh, really appreciate the gift as well. I don't even remember when pastor's appreciation is, but I appreciate the gift and I appreciate, I feel so honored as your pastor, uh, really, truly from the bottom of my heart, I feel so honored and privileged to be in the role and position that I'm in. And uh, it's been nothing but the joy of my life to continue serving um, the people of God, you, and helping you in any way that I can help you live better for Jesus. So it's been a joy. Well, I have one more uh, final announcement um, that I want to share with you. And I'm going to invite Carolina, uh, my wife. And uh, so we have uh, something to share with you that I didn't know we we're going to have pastor appreciate all appreciation and all this stuff going on, but um, we've been praying for something and something's coming down the road. And so I thought I'd have Carolina tell our little special announcement this morning. So yeah, we've been keeping a little secret for a couple of months now. And we thought it was about time we share with all of you that we're having a baby. <laughs> So we're super, super excited. We wanted to share with our church family here and just tell you to pray for me earnestly and for deeply us. for us, both of us. We need help. Lord, help us. So um, before we dive into the sermon, we're going to pray this morning that God would speak to us. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we just thank you for how faithful you are. God, we, we know that your word is powerful. And um, this morning, this afternoon, we're going to ask that you would just speak through your word to us, that each and every one of us would hear what we need to hear from your word, that your spirit would allow our, uh, just, just our beings to be open to what you have to communicate, what you want to speak clearly, God. Let there not be any distractions, Father, but let us hear clearly. Father, use me this morning to communicate your word, and we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, if you have your Bibles, would you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1? We are in a series called Rally. And I want to start just by jumping right in and reading the key verses that we're going to be going through today. 2 Timothy is a very powerful book, and it's going to speak to us about how we can live out our faith in a bold way. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 8. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of, his, or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel. But by the power of God, he has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And all of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Today we're going to be talking about, I'm going to give you three key things, three things to know for you to live boldly and courageously. And I, uh, it's interesting to me that even, you know, as I've walked with Jesus for quite some time now, haven't arrived or anything, but as I've walked with Jesus, this still seems to be an area sometimes where I want to grow in, the area of boldness. I realize as watching the news, as watching social media, which I'm not on that much, but anytime I'm on the news, social media, the internet, I become very aware 
of the divide that's happening currently in our culture. And it's more important than a political divide that's happening is there's, there's a divide that's going on in our culture that seems to be increasing. The gap between these two groups seems to be increasing every single day. And there seems to be a growing divide between the ideal traditional views of Christianity and the culture that's around us. Can I just see a raise of hands for anyone who's noticed that around me as well, that there seems to be a divide in ideals and ideas and ideology. Well, as the culture, like in any time and throughout history, everything repeats itself. And as the culture continues around us to have different views than what scripture would say, what I'm aware of is that it is gonna be more difficult for each and every one of us in our faith to live boldly. You know, it's easy to be bold about something that everybody's on the same page about. It's easy to be bold about something if it's agreeable and liked by everybody. But it's much more difficult to be bold and courageous about things that may upset people, may be problematic to some people, may be challenging to some people. And yet our faith, simply being a follower of Jesus, means that you are called to value things differently than people around you that are not followers of Jesus. I'll tell you one, and without getting off on some, without getting into too uh, hot of an area to start off with, one of the things I've realized and been aware of that is, seems to be highlighted again in our culture and society, but seems to be a wide gap of opinions on, is, is uh, the life of the child in the mother's womb. Let's start there. This has been highlighted again because of some changes in the laws that have uh, been happening down in places like Texas, but I've become more aware as uh, even being in a doctor's office, uh, seeing the uh, baby that is in my, my, uh, my wife's womb, it's been interesting for me to be aware of the cultural standard or understanding that there's different language even describing what is in my wife's womb. It's interesting that when we go for an abortion, we call it a fetus, but when we're going for an ultrasound, we call it a baby. And there is a growing divide, not just in the area of abortion, but a bunch of different issues. And, and not everyone is controversial as the next, but there are a bunch of different issues that are causing a divide in our society right now that, let me tell you, are very important that you understand and that you know. But more importantly, not just once you know and understand where you believe, is how bold you are or how courageous you are to align in a category that will continue to grow more narrow, as Jesus said, the way to eternal life is narrow. And so in this passage of Timothy, Paul is speaking not only to Timothy, but I would like to propose an idea that he's speaking to us. It is the inspired word of God. And Paul is speaking to Timothy as a seasoned leader speaking to a young leader. Paul is speaking to a young man who is timid, is a little fearful, is sometimes ashamed of some of the things. And yet Paul is speaking to him from a prison, not an ivory tower, but a prison. And he's encouraging a young leader to live in a bold way about the faith that is not changing. And so if you're taking notes this morning, as we're living our life for Jesus, all of us at different places, but we all want to be more bold. I'll tell you this, in my life, I want to make a huge difference for Jesus. I want to make an impact for the kingdom. James says, my life is but a mist. It will be here one moment and gone in the next. And I know that it makes a difference of how bold I live for my faith or how timid I live for my faith will be in direct proportion to the how, how great of an impact I make will be directly correlated to how bold I am in my faith. And if you're in this area with me, I want to give you three things to help you live boldly. Number one, write this down. Number one, we need to know that we are called. This is essential to living a bold life. We need to know that we are called. Paul says, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. In this time that Paul was living in, most likely was around AD 66. 
We talked about the context last week, so I won't go too far into it, but let me tell you, Christianity is not this massive, number one, huge, big religious group of the day. It's a very small religious group. It's growing. The followers are passionate, but it's looked at by society as a cult with radically different opinions. Do you know one of the early things that the church was persecuted for was not its beliefs on abortion, uh, but the church in the beginning was persecuted because they simply believed, different than the culture, that there was one God. It's one of the defining beliefs that got the church persecuted. The Romans around them said, hey, listen, we believe there's tons of tons and tons of gods. Actually, outside of some of their cities, they would have a stone monument that was built, and it would say the unknown God, just in case there was a God out of the hundreds of gods that they had that they may have missed. And so when Christianity, Christians show up on the scene as a small group, they are teaching and preaching something that is radically different than the culture around them. And Paul is speaking from a prison to Timothy and saying, listen, do not be ashamed about the testimony of the Lord. And also, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of those things. I know that we're looked at as a small group. I know that we're looked at as a different group that thinks differently. I know that we have different ideas and things that we believe than the culture around us, but we believe that these are the word and the truth of God. So do not be ashamed of the truth. Instead of being ashamed, he says, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul says to Timothy, instead of being ashamed, Timothy, get involved in the work of the gospel. Instead of being ashamed, Timothy, start making a difference for God. Instead of being ashamed, Timothy, start going around and sharing the gospel. Instead of being ashamed, Timothy, boldly pray even in public. Instead of being ashamed, Timothy, join with me in suffering for the gospel. I'll tell you what, I, as a follower of Jesus, and I know many in this room have experienced and maybe even had to, the cost of discipleship has cost you more, but being a follower of Jesus costs you, costs you something. And being a follower of Jesus has cost me close relationships and friendships of people that I dearly, dearly, dearly love. I'll never forget a good friend of mine that I was uh, really knew, knew this friend for a long time, and he had kind of wandered away from the faith and was living in a way that uh, was not in alignment with the Bible. And the Bible is pretty clear. A verse that's not often quoted is the Bible says, talks about us uh, not associating or having community, fellowship, with somebody that's a Christian that's continuing in sin without turning back to God, called unrepentant sin. And I remember going through this season and I remember having a conversation with my dad, very difficult conversation because I deeply, deeply loved this person. But I found myself, the more that I was around this person, the more that I felt when I would leave their presence, a temptation to compromise my faith. Deeply love this person, still love this person, have a relationship with this person. But I felt like at that season of time, I knew as reading God's scripture that God was calling me to do something. There was a cost in front of me to follow Jesus in a bold way. And I felt like the Lord was telling me through clearly through scripture that I needed to build some distance between this relationship because it was not something that was stirring me on in my faith with Jesus. And so I had a conversation with my dad about it. I was getting emotional about it because this was a very difficult and costly decision for me to make. And yet I made a very costly but important decision to distance myself from somebody that I deeply love and known for a long time because my faith was more important. Your faith, your following Jesus, your following the way of truth will cost you something. Some of you in this room, I've had this ongoing story. No, that's not the end of my sermon. I've had many conversations with people in this room who have had their family turn on them and say, we want nothing to do with you because you've chosen to follow Jesus and we want nothing to do with Christianity or Jesus. And that is one of the most difficult decisions to make, but you're counting a cost. Some of you have counted the cost of being in a relationship with somebody 
and you know what everybody else around you is doing. They're sleeping around, they're getting involved, they're testing the car before you drive it, but you know as a follower of Jesus, you're not called to live that lifestyle. And you're called to count a cost. You could do that, but you're calling it a cost. You said, Jesus, I'm going to follow the way. I can, in, I can indulge in these things, but I will not indulge in them because I've counted the cost and I'm following you. Counting the cost may cost you to lose a job, may cost you to lose friends, may cost you to even lose your life like the Apostle Paul. But each and every one of us, when we come to follow Jesus, need to understand that there is a cost in following Jesus. And when the cost seems too great, when the cost seems too high, when the cost seems daunting, or you as a Christian, you come up to you and say, I don't know, that one seems too big for me. Let me remind you of one of the things that Paul reminded Timothy as, he's, as Paul's challenging Timothy to not be ashamed, but to live boldly, to suffer for the gospel. He reminds him of a truth that really mobilizes us into courageous action and lifestyle. He reminds him of this. He says... Join with me in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to holy life. Not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. The amazing truth, let that sink in for a moment, that when you put your trust and your faith in Jesus, let me know this. Let me, let me make this clear to you, that when you put your trust and faith in Jesus, you are washed on the moment, on the spot, of all your sins, forgiven of every past, present, and future action, and you are made a child of God. The Bible says that you are a new creation. You are saved. Saved from having to pay the penalty of the price for any sin that you or I have ever committed to cross the, into the pearly gates of heaven. Let me tell you how many sins you can commit. Zero. For you to make it into God's eternal paradise of heaven, you and I can never have ever sinned one time. And yet the Bible says all have fallen short of the glory of God. All in this room have sinned. And the sins that you've committed may be different than the person that's sitting to your right or to your left, but each and every one of us has a stain and a list against us of sins that we've committed against a holy, righteous, and pure God. And when you understand how fallen you are, when you understand how bad you've blown it, when you understand how many times you've lusted or done things with the wrong motive or thought thoughts that were impure or cheated or lied, when you think through the list of the years and years and years of sins that we've committed that we deserve for what our actions are, punishment, and God's punishment is eternal separation away from God, also called in context, hell. And yet God Almighty himself, because he so loved the world, sent his son Jesus from heaven, born of a virgin Mary, to live a perfect life on our behalf, and at 33 years old, was crucified by the Romans. At any moment, he could have called down a legion of angels to take him off the cross, but he was on the cross, died at 33, and they thought the story was over. His body laid in a tomb, but after three days, the stone was rolled away, and Jesus was raised to life. And when you understand that when you put your trust and faith in what Jesus has done 2,000 years ago that's now revealed to humanity that we preach on Sunday mornings, that you hear on the radio, that maybe some of you heard from a neighbor who just shared the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for you. You understand that Jesus saved us. But he also called us. Not only did he wash us, forgive us, and cleanse us, but he called us to holy living. And holy living means God has called you to live differently than people that are not Christians around you. Holy means set apart, different. If your lifestyle and action as a proclaiming Christian looks very similar to someone that doesn't proclaim to be a Christian, I have something to tell you this morning. You're probably not a Christian.
You won't be known by your Facebook statement. You won't be known by the thickness of your Bible, but you'll be known by your love and by the fruit of your life. And he has called us not to just be saved, but he's called us to a holy life. And what I have found is sometimes, not everybody, there's some sincere, bold, living Christians, but sometimes I find Christians who want to identify with being saved, but not a holy lifestyle. They want to be saved and have Jesus as their savior, but they don't want Jesus as their Lord. I have a good friend of mine who I was sharing the gospel with, a former atheist that over the years moved to an agnostic. And because he was in a relationship with somebody who had a Christian faith, uh, this girl basically said, hey, you need to start meeting with Josiah uh, or maybe this relationship's not going to go somewhere. So a girl who's serious about her faith and a guy who's not. And I've known this guy for a long, long, long time, got a good, real good relationship with him. So I start meeting with him and talking about Jesus, coffee shop, Starbucks, talking, chit-chatting a little bit about Jesus. And a few weeks go by, we had something go on, a few weeks go by, and he reaches out and I said, hey, uh, are we going to meet again? And he says, no, I don't, I don't think we need to meet anymore. And I go, well, why? I mean, we weren't finished going through our study. And he said, well, I don't think we need to meet anymore because I believe that Jesus is who, he says, who you say he is and who he says he is. I almost had a heart attack. I was like, what? So then I wanted to clarify. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying that you believe that Jesus is God? That's who he said he is. You believe that Jesus is God? Not a good teacher, but God? He's like, yep. I'm like, so you want to make a decision to follow Jesus? And he says, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, but I'll tell you this. He said, I'm not yet willing to give up my lifestyle to follow Jesus. And here's what I would tell somebody that's in that camp. Here's what I would say to that person. I would say, hey, listen, I'd rather you be in that situation and at that place where you're not yet ready to follow Jesus, even though you believe that he's God, because you're not willing to leave your old ways or old lifestyle behind. I'm more, I'm more happy with that situation than someone who thinks they're a Christian because they prayed a prayer in a church, but they have not left the old lifestyle behind because they think that they can have both. Jesus says you have to choose me or that. There's no other option. And if there's something in your life, I know I'm preaching hard this morning, but just stick with me. If there's something in your life that is more precious to you, that is in the way, that's a barrier to you following Jesus or living a holy lifestyle, and if you're not a Christian, can I tell you what that is? That is called an idol. That is something that's become your God, so you won't give that up to follow the one true God. And each and every one of us wrestle with different idols in our lives, things that even as Christians try to come in and creep and take the place of Jesus in our life. But God has called you to holy living. God has called you to be a Christian who's saved and washed and cleansed by him, but a Christian who also lives out a different lifestyle than everybody else that's not a Christian. And it's, reaffir it's reassuring to know that it's not because of anything that I've done. I will not show up before Jesus one day and say, Jesus, it's because I went to the food pantry that I get in, right? Jesus, it was because of all that money that I gave so faithfully to you. I could have made so many more investments. I could have did this. I could have did that. Jesus, is that what God... It's not that. Jesus, was it the fact that I was a pastor? I went here. I studied the Bible for years and years and years, learned and took theology, talked deep things, prayed, led prayer meetings. Is it that, Jesus? Does that get me in? Is it the times that I've taken care of the poor, the homeless, the widows? What is, is it all of that? And Jesus says, listen, all of that is like filthy rags to me. That's what Psalm says. All of that is like filthy rags. All of that stuff is not good enough, in other words. Our actions do not make us right with God. It is trusting in the work that Jesus has done on the cross on our behalf. And we simply put our faith and trust in what Jesus has already done that in a moment wipes us clean of our sins, realizing that we could never earn our right standing with God, but only Jesus can make the way. Amen. 
And I hear this as well sometimes. I've had these conversations. Well, you know, I, and I kind of joke around some times like this. Maybe I shouldn't, but you know, I hear sometimes people will say, well, nobody really knows what happens after we die. Anybody ever heard that? Well, we, you know, I know you believe what you believe, and I believe what I believe, but no one really knows what, you know, what happens after you die. We've just kind of all got to figure it out. Can I tell you, that thought is not in alignment with the Bible. What the Bible has to say speaks specifically to this. Listen to how Paul identifies and speaks more specifically to the grace that we have in Jesus. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior. The gospel, his grace, when Jesus came down, has been revealed. Listen to the next verse. Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. When somebody tells you as a Christian, as, as, as bold as this may be to say, I will say it. When somebody tells you nobody knows what is going to happen after you die, I would flat out say, according to the Bible, that is wrong. Because according to the Bible, we do know what's going to happen after we die. If you're a Christian, it's very clearly defined that you will go to be with Jesus Christ. And you will go to be with heaven. And that he's preparing a place for you. And eventually, we will have a new body. And there will be even streets of gold. There's actually depictions of what heaven will be like in the book of Revelation. And so Jesus, what this verse means is that Jesus has revealed to us what eternity will be like and the full truth of eternal life. And this is something that Paul is speaking to Timothy to be bold about. Think about this. Paul is in prison about to die for believing and following Jesus. And he's speaking to young Timothy, and he's saying, hey, Timothy, Jesus has conquered death. And Jesus has also explained to you what happens after you die. So you can be bold and courageous because we know exactly what happens after death. In other words, what Paul's saying to Timothy is saying, listen, Timothy, death no longer has its sting. When you die, you go to be in paradise. They don't rob anything from you when they take your life. They're giving you what is coming to you already in Christ. For the Christian to die, Paul often quotes this earlier. I believe in Philippians he says, he's like, listen, I want to be in heaven. That's where I want to be. But if I'm here on earth, and he actually says that's far better, if I'm here on earth, then I want to live on mission for Jesus because that's what my life is all about. Listen, when death is no longer something that we should be afraid of, we can live in a bold and courageous way. If death is something that people, it leads us to even a greater destination, it's not something that we should be afraid of. I tell people, I'm not afraid to die. Now, I don't want to die a really painful death. I don't want to suffer a long time or anything like that. But as a Christian, you shouldn't be afraid of death. If you have a right understanding of scripture and your final moments are coming, there should be almost a, like, this is a moment that is going to change my life. This is what I'm excited for. I get to finally be more alive than I've ever been alive before. Paul continues on and says this. He says, yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Paul is pretty clearly saying that, and write this down, number two, that to live a bold life, you need to know who you believe in. To live a bold and courageous life for Jesus, you need to be sure of the Jesus that you're putting your faith into. And this context of this verse is saying that you need to know Jesus in a very personal and practical and real way. This is not just no facts about Jesus. This is not just no information and quote things about Jesus' life that he lived. But do you know Jesus in a personal and intimate way? Paul says, I know, he's convinced, I know whom I have believed in. 
And he says, I am convinced, I know who Jesus is, and I'm convinced that that Jesus is able to guard what I've entrusted in him until that day. There are different things in our life that we can't, circumstances that we cannot control, things that we don't have power over, things that we can't change. There are going to be situations and circumstances that we did not expect to happen in our life. But no matter what season you or I go through, let me tell you this, you can be convinced of this, that Jesus always has the power and that Jesus is always in control. He says, I am convinced, the language here is, I am convinced that Jesus is powerful enough to be, to be over and change any circumstances that I live in. I am convinced that he's able to guard my life, my safety, my well-being. There's something about being convinced in Jesus, not just in your personal relationship with knowing who he is and knowing his heart, but also being convinced by the promises of God in his word. Are you convinced that even when you lose your, lose your job and the rent's due by the end of the month and you're applying but nobody's calling back, are you convinced that God is powerful enough to open up doors and change your circumstance and provide before the end of the month? Are you convinced? Are you convinced of Scripture? that says, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even when you sin, even when you blow it, even when you're ashamed, even when you drop the ball, even when you stray away, are you convinced of the scripture that even when you feel like trash, that Jesus says, listen, you may have blown it, but are you convinced of what the scripture says, that I will never leave you nor forsake you even when you blew it last night? This is one of the things that defines our boldness. Paul knew this, that no matter what happened to him, there was nothing that could take him away from the love of God. There was nothing that could separate Paul from the love of Jesus. Hey, listen, we can be separated from our loved ones. I've been in enough funerals to know that there's people that I love that I wish I had more time with, but their time is gone and they've moved on. And I wish that I could still experience their love. I wish that I could still love them and care for them, but their time is over. I've been separated them for them for a season of time. Many Christians that I care for and love, I've been separated from them, but I don't grieve without hope. One day I will be able to see them again in paradise. But let me tell you this. You can be separated from even the person in your life that you would never expect them to go in the next few years. You can have them taken, distant. They can betray you, backstab you. Let me tell you this. You can be separated from their love, but you can never be separated from the love of Christ. And Romans 8, 30, 35 to 39 says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written, for thy sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced, listen to Paul's, this is Paul writing in Romans. Listen to how convinced Paul is of the love of Jesus. This is where his boldness comes from. He's convinced so much, so deeply of the love of Jesus that will never be detached or taken from him. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Paul was convinced even in a jail cell that there was nothing that could disconnect him, take him away, pull him from this love of Jesus, that even death would just lead him to a closer relationship with Jesus. There was no power, no angels, no principalities. 
that could pull Paul away or put him in a situation where he couldn't experience the love of Jesus. He knew Jesus in a close way and it propelled him to be a bold, bold man of faith. He says to that day, he's thinking forward to the day that every Christian will stand before what they call the beam of seat of judgment. He will stand before, listen to 2 Timothy 4, 8. In the future, there is laid up for me, this is Paul, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul's in a jail cell saying, listen, I know I'm suffering right now, but I'm not losing hope, I'm not losing joy, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm continuing to stay here, follow Jesus, encourage you onward, because there will be a day where every single one of us as followers of Jesus will stand before Jesus and have to give account for the life that we lived. And do you know that we will be rewarded? That just if you make it into heaven, I mean that, whoa, I mean, come on. That's gonna be just amazing in itself. But do you know that there's some things that I've done in my life that I've done them with the wrong motives? Maybe I've done it so somebody else could see, or I've done it for this or that. Maybe nobody else knew but just me. And one day that thing will be in front of God, and it says there will be a fire that will come upon every, every action that I've done. And it, I'm like, here, Jesus, this, you remember that time I gave you this money? But he's like, yeah, but you did it with the wrong heart. And nobody saw it but me. And it says this fire will go, and that will be gone. With Jesus, you remember this? When I, when, I, when I did this with this person, I gave that. You remember, is that good? Is that? And Jesus is like, right, let's see the fire either stands or doesn't. And every single one of us, the actions, the good actions of all of our life, this is not about making it into heaven or hell. This is you as already as a Christian. You will have things that you put before God. You say, hey, these are my actions. These are the years of my life. These are my best moments, my, my Jesus. You know, and each and every one of us will be rewarded different based upon the way that we lived our life. So let me say to the single person that's wrestling with their purity right now, saying, man, I really want to get it on with this person. Man, I got a lot of emotions and testosterone and things going on in my body. Let me tell you this. You're asking yourself, is it worth it? Well, one day you'll stand before Jesus, and that purity will be put before Jesus. That moment, this season, that relationship. And Jesus will say, well, how'd you do with that? And if you held it, you kept walking, you walked with Jesus, that will be something that you will be rewarded for one day. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're looking at a situation right now in your workplace. You're saying, everybody else, you know, I'm going to lose my job if I don't lie because that's what my boss is asking me. And I really need this job. It's really difficult. I don't want to lose this. And so you're debating about being truthful or not. But nobody else will know, but Jesus will. And one day, if you choose to make the right decision in that situation, say, I'll lose my job. You may have lost something in this age, but you gained something in the next. And we move on to the final one verse here. Third thing is not just knowing who you believe in, but knowing what you believe. This is so important in the time that we live in. Verse 13 says this, what you have heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching. With faith and love in Christ Jesus, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. When it says keep the pattern, it's talking about scripture. It's talking about keeping truth, keep the pattern of truth. This word pattern or standard in other translations, it's the idea of a writer's outline. I want you to think of a coloring book. I, uh, I get to go back into kid zone every once in a while, and um, it brings a lot of joy to my heart to see little kids doing their crafts and you know, playing their games and stuff. I was there back there last week. And almost every time they go back there, there's a craft. And I always ask the kids to show me. There's a little, hopefully there's no little kids in here. But I ask them to show me their crafts. And when they show me their crafts, I'm always like, oh, it's amazing. It's so good. But I'll tell you, I've realized two distinctions in, in crafts. Some kids uh, with the coloring books, and it's based on their age, they just take that blue crayon, and they don't even see the lines. <laughs> And they're like, their goal is just to, like, they, don't, they just see the line. They don't like, hey, how do you think about this? And I'm like, that is precious. <laughs> that is, the Lord is working in you. 
And other kids, when they get a little bit older, they see the lines and they're able to draw inside the lines, right? They, they see it, they use different colors, they're really able to get into all the little details of whatever this uh, coloring book thing is. If you do not know the lines, if you do not see the lines, then you cannot stay within it. You can't create this beautiful thing, that, this beautiful creation or artwork. And that's the same with our faith. A lot of us, we don't even know what the lines are. And we're like, God, are you happy? You see, and it's just like blue all over. Like, God, this is, this is how I'm supposed to live, right? And God, like a good father, is like, I love you. You're growing. I want you to see the lines. Because every time you're outside of the line, you're living a life that God hasn't called you to live. And so God wants you to live inside of the line. Let me give you another picture. I was with my nephew yesterday. We were pushing him. He's a little, little baby Finn. Baby Finn kind of knows like two different like key actions that he does if you see him. He's around here sometimes. This is his two. One, he has super excited, <gasps> and he points at whatever it is. He just like sucks in all this air like, <gasps> and the other one that baby Finn does is he says he's got the word ball down. And so he has a basketball and a little football at his house and he goes, ball, ball. He always points, ball. So we were pushing him in the cart yesterday. We were going to the park at nighttime, and he's like a year and a half years, you know, a year and a half old. And he sees, as we're pushing him, he sees like some different fruit and some different things on the ground that are not balls. And he goes, "Ball." I'm like, well, not totally balls, but let's keep going. And then he sees this big, big pumpkin. They went pumpkin picking the other day. This big pumpkin in the top uh, balcony, and he goes, "Ball, ball." You're just like, this. he doesn't know. It's just not a ball. And then he sees these rocks, these big rocks that we have along our path. And there's this really big one by the, uh, by the park. And I mean, he gets way too excited about rocks. I don't know what's going on there. But he's like, ball, ball, ball. And then finally, I was kind of like, OK, well, we've got to correct this kid a little bit. OK, Finn, ball, rock. Ball, rock. Baby Finn is too young. He calls everything a ball because everything looks like a ball to him. He's not old enough to be able to determine that's a ball and that's a rock. Right now, he's got limited vocabulary. He's very young, and so he just sees everything. He just thinks anything that's kind of relatively circled, just ball, ball, ball. And can I tell you, I've seen the same thing with people who are young in their faith. Truth, 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 truth. And... And let me say this too. Maturity is not defined by how long you've been in a church. I know some people young in the faith who have surpassed somebody that's been double the time they've been in a church simply because they're growing in the Lord. They're serious about their faith. They're serious about prayer. They're getting into the scripture. They're plugged into a small group. They're serving in a ministry. That person will grow dramatically more than the person that's just sitting in Sunday morning week after week or once a month. And so sometimes I see Christians who, they're just young. I get it. There's nothing against it. The Bible says it's like infants, you know, and you come to Christ and you're young and you just don't know what the truth is. And so everything that kind of looks like the truth, you're like, that sounds like true truth. Well, that's kind of uh, truth. Well, that like truth. But if you don't know the truth and you're just pointing and picking things that look like the truth, you will be led astray. And there comes a point in your faith where you need to go beyond truth, 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 ball, ball, ball. There comes a point where you need to grow up enough in your faith and have people around you that care enough about you that even as you're growing, they can say, no, that's, that's a ball and that's a rock. That's truth and that's a lie. So they can steer you because these things change the trajectory of your life. And if you're not at a point yet where you know, and listen, let me tell you, I've been reading the Bible for probably 20 plus years now, and I still don't understand everything in the Bible. There's still things I'm trying to wrap my mind around, and I've done deep, deep studies. There's still things I don't grasp yet, but there's people around me that I've, I've learned enough. I, and let me tell you this, when you know enough truth in Scripture, you can easily determine what the lies are. I see some things floating around in our culture, and it's like, how is that believed by people that are proclaiming to be Christians? But it's because they don't know Scripture. It's being floated. It's like, yeah, that, that sounds good, and the enemy is so crafty. He's creating something that's like 90% truth, but that 10% lie to lead you astray.
And Paul is saying, listen, you need to know the pattern, the outline of sound teaching with faith and love. And so I spoke to the young believer. Let me finish with this as I speak to the more mature believer, believer who's been around for a while. Believer who's studied theology, believer who's memorized scripture, believer who's studied deeper things in scripture. Let me say this to you. Paul gives us clear guidance here that as we keep the pattern of sound teaching, we do that with two different attitudes. We do that with both faith and we do that with both love. Faith is that we trust in the scriptures. Faith is that we trust and hold to what we live out in but very importantly is love as well. Sometimes the reason that somebody won't ask a question in a small group or a question that they think they just don't know but they really know the answer to, sometimes the reason they won't ask it is because last time the reason they asked, they got shot down by the person that knows me more. Are you stupid? You don't know that? Come on, you didn't know that Jesus was three days? Practice the pattern in love. How could you not know that you've been? What is that doing for anybody? What is that doing for anybody? How would you want to be treated for someone that's been way further in the faith than you, that things you have no clue, you don't even know how to say the words correctly. And they're going, you, you can't even pronounce that? How stupid are you? Blah, 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 blah. Is that in love? You and I are called to walk alongside another with love as we instruct and teach and push one another to be more and more and more like Jesus so that each and every one of us, not just one, not the strongest, not this, but each and every one of us can determine what's the difference between a lie and the truth, even when one is almost 100% a truth. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's stand, church. God has called you, young man, young woman. God has called you, seasoned saint. There are days ahead of us where there will be a great sifting like there has been this past year. There will be more siftings ahead for the church. Siftings of your faith, where you will have to make decisions about what you believe, about how committed you are to Christ. There will come times where saying the things that you have believed for a while now, or the things the Bible's been saying for 2,000 years, will be viewed as hate speech. There's already countries right now that preaching on certain things in the Bible, you get thrown in jail or get fined. It's already that reality. And you may not be on a stage preaching the word, but you are called to live out the word in your life. Some of you work in, most of you work in totally 100%. Everybody else is just living, not for Jesus, living for themselves. And you're in a constant struggle and battle to walk and live in Jesus and live in a pure way. And I wanna encourage you in the power that God's given you, not in your own strength, but in the power that God's given you to live out and be courageous and bold about Jesus. Be courageous and bold about the gospel. Be courageous and bold. That doesn't mean obnoxious. That doesn't mean the person that's just trying to start fights and problems. The Bible has a lot to say about that too. But in a loving way that you're bold and courageous, that you stand firmly on what you believe that you know what you believe, you know why you believe it, and you stand firmly on it. You say, this is where I'm standing because I believe that this is the truth. And I wanna pray for us, church. If you're, I'm gonna ask you to do something. If you're asking for this season that you would walk, you're asking from God that this would be a new season of boldness and courage that you would walk in, as many of us wrestle with this area. I want to challenge you. I want to pray for you right now. But if you're 
saying, God, I want a new season of being bold and courageous for you in my workplace, in my house, among friends, family. I want you to raise your hands as a sign of surrender before God, just as a symbol to say, God, because I want to pray for you, just saying, God, I'm, this is a new season and I'm ready to surrender myself into a boldness and courageousness for you. Raising your hands as a symbol of surrender, it's a symbol of saying, God, I need you. I can't do it without you. I need your power. I am ashamed sometimes. I am this or that sometimes, but I don't want to be. I want to be bold for you. And so, Father, with the hands raised across the room, you look upon every one of your followers, every single one of your saints. And Father, we ask that you would help us be bold. Help us to be courageous. Even, even when it means that we lose friends, even when it means that we lose business, even if it means that we lose a job, even if it means that there's a loss here or a loss there, whatever it means, whatever the cost is, help us to be bold. Help us to be courageous for you. God, as we grow in our boldness and courageousness, Father, would you help us to grow just as much in our love? Let us have a gentle and gracious spirit with people that have different opinions than us, not demeaning, not argumentative, but gracious, gentle, and loving with people that have different opinions, different viewpoints, even Christians that have different thoughts and different opinions, Father. Let us be gracious and gentle as we instruct one another in the way that your word has to say. And Father, I close our prayer like this, asking for something. If among this body, if among this church, there are thinking, thinkings and ways that are not in alignment with your word, would you help us? Would you lead us in our small groups and lead us in our Bible studies and lead us as we hear your word to be in alignment with your scripture, not in alignment with culture? to be in alignment with your word, not in alignment with the winds of the day. And so, Father, we need help. We need guidance. We cannot live out this holy life without the power of your spirit. So help us, Lord Jesus. We are so dependent to live in a way where we love our spouse in the right way, where we walk in purity, where we walk in integrity of mind and speech. We are so dependent upon your spirit. Without you, we crumble into ourselves. But that's why you said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. We want to live boldly for you, Jesus. And we know that we cannot do that without you. So help us in our weakness. Help us when we're ashamed. In a loving way that only you can as a father prompt us into a deeper relationship with you. And Lord Jesus, we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's sing a song. Let's worship Christ before we leave.